Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, welcome back to episode two of Suncast. My name is Nico Johnson, and I'm so grateful that you're joining me today for our weekly conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders. Whether you're listening, on your commute, or on your lunch break, it's my hope that this show gives you the tools, insights, and resources to lead the solar revolution in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. It's my aim to keep this show under 45 minutes, but if that's even too long for you, please do let me know how I can make this show even more valuable for you in a shorter time frame. And even though we're focused on Latin America as a region, I really want to tease out of our guests each week some broader themes on personal development. As you'll see with today's guests, this is a golden opportunity for you to learn from the successes of folks who've gone before you. And I'm working on your behalf to tease out these details on not only market development, but how to be a better developer and salesperson no matter what market you're working in. Today on Suncast, we chat with Marco Garcia, a solar industry veteran with well over two gigawatts of project and product sales experience globally. I think you're really going to get a lot out of what Marco shares today about how his early experience in Europe has served he and his team well as his current company has expanded globally. You may want to take notes on this one as Marco really outlines especially how vendors can develop winning strategies for emerging markets. Before we jump in, I'd like to thank each of you who've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the podcast over the last week since we launched, as well as those who emailed me personally or showed love for the show on social media. Your feedback and encouragement really is essential, not only for others to find this in iTunes, but also for me to know that you like the show and you want me to keep it coming. And as part of our launch period, I invite you to stick around to the end for my bribe, I mean contest, where you could potentially win $100. But for now, let's get the show rolling with Marco Garcia. Really excited to have Marco Garcia from Next Tracker on the show today. If you don't know Marco Garcia, he has a long and prolific career in solar and has been a sales professional in Latin America for many years. He currently is the chief commercial officer for Next Tracker. A lot of exciting things going on over at Next Tracker these days. Before that, he was on the team that took Powerlight into notoriety and, and eventually into an acquisition successfully with SunPower. And he's been involved in a number of solar startups and solar companies before that. So as I mentioned, Marco's had a prolific career in solar, knows a thing or two about new market development. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Hey, Marco, are you feeling the energy in the room? Absolutely, Nico. It's, it's great to be here with you in this first podcast. I'm, I'm really excited. It, it is my first podcast I'm participating in. And uh, I, you know, I got to be honest, the only podcasts I've heard are, are This American Life with Ira Glass and, and Garrison Keillor, of course. So this is a lot of fun. How did you get the idea to do a solar podcast? This is great. I love it, Marco. Thanks for the question. Uh, turning the tables on the interviewer. Perfect. Uh, well, actually, I have been a big fan of podcasts uh, for the last few years. I also listen to This American Life and pretty much all things NPR. And my family as well has grown up on Garrison Keillor. So I have an affinity for the spoken word. I have an affinity for the ability to 
determine what goes into your ears instead of listening to a radio where somebody else tells you what you should listen to on a, on a minute-by-minute basis, including NPR. So I've really tuned into podcasts over the last few years, really, since 2009, 2010. I've been listening pretty steadily to podcasts as a way to uh, to develop, to provide personal development in my life from a professional perspective and to gain perspective on the world. So that's why I started this podcast. Uh, there, If you go back and listen to episode zero or the About Me episode, which is, in, uh, which is on the website and also in iTunes, you can hear exactly why I am starting this podcast. It's about eight minutes, nine minutes, and it goes into detail. So I appreciate the question, Marco. Thank you. Well, listen, before we discuss, and first of all, actually, I wanted to thank you and, and really appreciate that the first uh, podcast that you participate on is this podcast. I feel honored. Absolutely, my friend. And and you just reminded me, I got to go uh, listen to your version zero. So I'll do that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So before we jump into solar, Marco, let's talk a little bit about heritage. Can you tell me a bit about your background and why you hold a special place in your heart for Latin America? Absolutely. Soy Latino, amigo. Uh, my mother's, <laughs> yeah, my mother's from Mexico. My father's Spanish. Uh, my grandparents are from Asturias in the north of Spain. They emigrated to East St. Louis, Illinois back in 1912. 1912. My father was born there in 1925. Uh, my grandparents were uh, Spanish-speaking only pretty much all their lives in the U.S. And my grandpa worked in a Granite City steel mill. I'm the youngest of eight kids, fast forward. Uh, and uh, my oldest brother, two brothers born in, in Mexico. The rest was born back in East St. Louis, Illinois. That's where I grew up. I'm from the hood. Uh, it's, it's the east side of the river of St. Louis. I was very fortunate. I attended St. Louis Country Day School. That took me to Brown University, uh, Ivy League. That uh, uh, developed my um, uh, university studies in electrical engineering and economics. And then I uh, traveled abroad, worked for a semiconductor company and an investment bank in Switzerland, and eventually came back to the U.S. in 91. Uh, uh, you know, that was, it was time. Get back, get serious, get a career. And I worked, started working in telecom in 1991, focused on Latin America. So back to my roots, using uh, the Spanish language from my heritage, loving meeting different people from different markets in Latin America, realizing that it's not one culture. It's many, many cultures. Each country is different. Each accent is different. Depending on, in Colombia, for example, depending on if you're down in the coast in Barranquilla, they speak Caribeño. If you're up in Bogota, they're much more proper. They're mm -hmm. in elevation. They wear suits. You know, same in, in Mexico, in Mexico City, you're wearing the suit. Down in, uh, in, in Acapulco, much more playera, much more, you know, beach and, and, and warm weather. Every market is interesting. Love the Latino culture. I'm a crazy football fan as well, football soccer, of course, and, uh, and just love that. And Brazil as well. I learned Portuguese when I started doing business in Brazil back in the 90s. So long answer, but that's why Latin America is special to me. That is, that's a wonderful answer, Marco. It might be long, but it gives us a good uh, overview uh, of who you are from, from a cultural perspective and, and informs how you, might, uh, how you might approach things. Hey, Marco, I'm curious. One quick tip you might give us that, uh, on how to, how to quickly find your rhythm in a new culture? Yeah, so, um, so you know, from the uh, arrival at the airport, right, I start tuning in the accent, maybe even the flight attendants on the, on the plane, tune in the accent of that market, uh, get my taxi cab to the hotel, check in with the taxi driver right away, like get into the, is it, is it, you know, is it Chilango in Mexico City? 
you know, is it Caraqueño in Caracas? It's like you get in, like check out what's happening with the weather, the politics, the local sports teams, have a 20 minute, half hour conversation, just get in tune with what's going on, grab the newspaper when I get to the hotel, read it the next morning before my coffee, get out to my meetings, just kind of get in, tune into this culture, what's going on, what's important to them in this city right now today. So I, I got a couple of speaking points before I get into the business, right? When I have my first meeting, I'm going to chit chat a little bit, five, 10 minutes about local stuff happening here, back in California, where I'm from. I was in Miami for many years. Like, what's going on there? Latin stuff, maybe talk a little sports, and then let's talk business. It's always, it's always nice to relate to your customer before you hit the business. Gosh, Mark, I would have given anything to have you say that very thing to me 10 years ago when I was getting into the solar industry. And I had already lived three years in Latin America. Man, that is golden. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great tip. Cool. Well, listen, I want to dig into Marco Garcia's solar career and his background. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily go all the way back into how you got into solar, but can you walk us through like the, ev the evolution of how Marco Garcia became this chief commercial officer at Next Tracker and became the person that you are today? What are the steps that got you there? I appreciate that. So, um, in, uh, in the 90s, in that telecom field, right, voicemail in Latin America, it was competitive. I had uh, several competitors. They were also American companies. Most uh, were Silicon Valley. And, and one in particular was right down the block from, from our company in San Jose, California. And I realized that, you know, everybody's got a decent product. The customer could be happy with mine or the next guy's. But what the way I differentiated myself was... Uh, the relationship, right? I, I developed relationships with customers and they wanted to do business with my company because they wanted to do business with Marco Garcia. And that is where it, they, it, I kind of, I learned that early and mm -hmm. you, you know how it is, right? You become, your customers become your friends over time. Found right? that truth time and time again. You want to hang out with them. They want to go to dinner. You want to go to lunch. You want to, how's the family? How the kids? You know, I mean, that's, that's what it becomes that and you appreciate each other, and then the business becomes even more fun because now you're doing business with friends. Now, don't get me wrong, it's competitive, right? You gotta compete, you need to understand your benefits, your, your, your elevator speech, your 30 seconds, your top three reasons to do business with me. All of that, you need to lock that down, but then you know, move to the relationship. You, you see the opening, and you move to the relationship as soon as possible, so people start to appreciate what you've said makes sense, they don't disagree, and now, okay, and he's a cool guy too. Let's do business. That, that's, that was always my kind of trying to, trying to learn as I go. And uh, I, I was successful in telecom. I worked in software a little bit during the dot-com stuff, 99, 2000. I uh, was with a company that was acquired in 2002. And I, and I was kind of disillusioned. I kind of rode this company up and down. Nothing came out of it. We were acquired. It was kind of a fire sale, not a big deal. Uh, and I was like, something new. Called an old friend from college. Uh, hey, that solar company you're working for, Powerlight in Berkeley, seven minutes from my house. Like, are they hiring? <laughs> he said, yeah, let me bring you in. And, you know, uh, do you know solar? I'm like, dude, I love solar. I'd, I'd love to go outside and see the sunshine. Solar energy, <laughs> free, free energy from the sun. You know, I'm a solar beast myself, right? I prefer to be outside in the sun. I don't want to be in an office, but, you know, you got to pay the bills. So anyway, I got into solar 2002 with Powerlight. It was a great opportunity. 2002. And unbelievable. So Powerlight, you told us a story back at InterSolar about opening up markets in, in Europe at, with Powerlight. And that really, in a lot of ways, is what led directly to kind of what you guys are doing at Next Tracker. Could you, uh, could you talk about 
some of the stuff that you did over in Spain and Germany, I mean, in the early days of ground mount solar? Absolutely. You know, Nico, I could talk about this all day. You're pushing my buttons, man. I love this. <laughs> pushing the right buttons. So, yes, we were, um, you know, we were limited in California in 2002, 3, and 4 to one megawatt projects, right? Net metering California had a cap on one megawatt, and, and I had it locked down. It could be a rooftop, one megawatt, or a ground-mounted tracking system, one megawatt. I needed about six acres of land. I did the first one megawatt tracker in Chico, city of Chico, wastewater treatment plant. Uh, you know, first ground model, one megawatt tracker in the world, boom, Chico. Wow. Doing one megawatt rooftops in Fresno, California, in Visalia, Central Valley, uh, Oakland, San Francisco. I'm doing elevated trackers above parking lots of the U.S. Postal Service in San Francisco. Uh, I'm doing elevated trackers for Alameda County at the Fremont Hall of Justice and Hayward Hall of Justice. I'm putting trackers and rooftop stuff wherever I can. And it got to, I'm having so much fun. And the competition wasn't so much other solar companies. It was the customer doing nothing and continuing to buy their power from the utility, PG&E, instead mm -hmm. of going for a solar project where PG&E paid for half of it. We had 50% rebates at the time. To give you an idea, solar cost about $8 a watt, and you got $4 a watt rebate from PG&E. The rest, the other four bucks a watt, uh, you had to you know, figure it out. And it was tended to be a six, seven, eight year payback, but we could do energy efficiency, swap out some of the lights in the building to have energy efficiency savings in addition to the generation from the rooftop system, for example. So that's how we got started. And then over in Germany, feed-in tariffs, right? They're doing five, 10, 20, 30 megawatt ground-mounted projects. I'm like, whoa, they could do 20 and 30 megawatt projects over there? I can only do one at a time. I have to do 30 projects, 30 customers to get to 30 megawatts, right? Mm. And, and uh, we, our team, PowerLight, got wind of a 10 megawatt project through some partners in Germany. We went in, we won. 10 megawatt tracker. It was at the time, 2004, the largest power plant in the world, largest solar power plant, and of course, the largest tracking system in the world. Well, Marco, I've noticed that uh, you guys have kind of hitched your wagon to a rising star in, in Latin America, being Sun Edison. You now have more megawatts than pretty much any competitor in LATAM for, uh, for racking across the board. Was this a, a regional market entry strategy or just a wonderful byproduct of a relationship? Yeah, great question. Um, so just to paint the full picture, we spun out Next Tracker roughly October 2013. We launched our brand and our product at the SPI show in Chicago that year, October. And then uh, we had already been talking to Sened for probably a year leading up to that. And we were a company called Solaria, and we are still today co-located Solaria uh, and Next Tracker in the same building in Fremont, California. Solaria continues uh, in the module business. They're doing quite well. And then we spun on Next Tracker because we saw that the market needed a, a, a better tracking system, a company that was really focused on on delivery, execution, customer focus. So um, the Sun Edison was a clear target for us because, as you stated, they were winning projects all over Latin America. Their decision makers for LATAM are all sitting in Madrid, and then their headquarters is in Belmont, California, just across the bay from Fremont. So, so just cross the Dumbarton Bridge, take the 101 up to Belmont, we're, we're 25, 30 minutes away from Sun Edison. So I, I teamed up with my CEO, Dan Sugar. He would handle the relationship with the execs in California, Belmont, run air cover, and I was over in Madrid with the specific LATAM guys, the engineers, the EPC guys, the, the O&M guys, the design engineers. I was counting peers with them in painful detail, explaining individual rows, easier O&M, no linkage, and they had just completed two uh, projects in Chile, very large ones, a 50 megawatt tracker 
with their own AP90 product, and then a 100 megawatt tracker with their AP90 product. And that AP90 is a push-pull system, very similar to what, it, what I described before. It has 40 modules on eight peers, and I, I was counting peers. And just on peers alone, they started to lean toward uh, Next Tracker, even though we were a young company and had not yet done a project at the time larger than you know five or ten megawatts. Just on peers alone, in the wow. part of our company, you knew and, you had something right there. Yeah, an, an execution, and of course the SunPower diaspora, uh, the, the PowerLight uh, acquisition by SunPower. We were 160 people at the time in PowerLight, and it was SunPower grew into a much larger beast, if you will, first vertically, a large vertically integrated solar company. And we knew folks, right? Folks had left PowerLight, folks had left SunPower, a lot of those folks landed at SunEdison, they landed at other cus customer companies or EPC companies in Chile. We started finding friends in the industry that were, that were saying good things about us and recommending us back to SunEdison headquarters in Madrid. That's how I got in the door. That's how I made my pitch. It took a while, like most things. It was probably a year sale, sales cycle, you know, one year tra traveling over to Madrid. Uh, to get these guys to say, okay, we're going with you, and, and price negotiation, everything else, we had to be competitive. But the, the nice thing about Sun Edison, they're, they're, they are, have a vision, so they keep growing globally. Um, they are an excellent customer in that they demand high supplier quality. So they made us a better supplier. We had to have inspections done at all of our factories, third-party inspections, bankability studies. Fischner is a German engineering firm that does uh, bankability technical due diligence for projects. They would come in and and ask us all kinds of detailed due diligence questions. Our engineers had to step up, provide responses, and we had to execute. And once we started shipping Crucero and the, the material started to arrive in the desert in Chile, we were right there with the material. We were training San Edison and their subcontractors. We were driving those first piers in the ground with them. Uh, we came up with methodologies together to build our tracker faster. So to give you an idea, we built Crucero. The actual construction time across three subcontractors was 12 weeks. In the middle of 2014. Wow. Uh, summer up here was winter in, in Chile, roughly June, July, August. Three months for 80, 70 megawatts. Correct. And then we got the Javiera project awarded to us in roughly July. We delivered it in September, October, and the construction of that one, Javiera's also 70 megawatts, eight weeks construction time. Unbelievable. The same crews, they were trained. They went from 12 weeks, 70 megawatts to eight weeks on the next 70 megawatt wow. project. Then they awarded us Honduras, 80 megawatts in Honduras, spread across three projects. We executed on that one as well. We grew internationally with Sun Edison. Uh, and in parallel, I, I was awarded a very important project for us in Australia. Moree is the project, M-O-R-E-E. -E. It's 70 megawatts in Australia. It's an FRV project, Photovoltaic Renewable Ventures. Uh, uh, Elecnor, the Spanish EPC that was my customer from back in the day, in the, in the power light and sun power days, right. they won the project. They had a competitive tracker already specced in. I knocked on the door. I said, hey, let me explain to you. We started to count peers. We started to uh, show savings. We were extremely competitive. We were faster to construct. We had experience in Australia because one of my old power light uh, construction guys lived down there. He was local. I went to Australia. I went to Spain. We won that project. It was huge, Nico, because Sun Edison uh, during 2014 was about 95% of our business until I closed that Moree project right around November, December of 2014. Now we had two big customers, right? Now we had Sun Edison in Latin America. We had Elecnor and Fotovatio in Australia. So I've grown internationally, right? I, I'm, I'm struggling to win business in the US, but I'm growing internationally. I'm scaling my tracker. I'm dropping my costs. I'm delivering it on time. I'm proving out the savings on construction. 
And, uh, and then finally, I hired a gentleman on my team named Ryan Booth. Uh, he had also worked at SunPower back in the day. He worked at SPG, excellent guy. And I signed him to North America and, and he finally started winning business in the US, you know, helped by the growth internationally, the reduction costs. Then we could compete in the US market and we started to win with a, with a big uh, contract with Blattner. Blattner is a great EPC from Minnesota and they brought us large projects with customers like Recurrent and Next Era. And so now we are doing, I have to say, this year we're going to ship over two gigawatts, our company. So That's amazing. And, uh, and you may have heard we were recently acquired by uh, a great contract manufacturer called Flextronics just earlier this week. They're going to let us operate independently, continue doing what we're doing, but now we have a financial backstop of a $26 billion manufacturing company. That's amazing. Yeah, I get it. And congratulations again on that acquisition. That is uh, it's a huge uh, mile marker for Next Tracker as you grow. I want to just go back a minute and, and point out a lot of what I was hearing is that in the DNA of how you guys chose to grow, you're very focused on what your, what your most valuable uh, proposition to the customer is, right? Like what the, the removal of steel. Uh, there are a lot of ancillary benefits, if you will. If you just said we remove steel, that's not really enough because there are a lot of other an ancillary benefits. However, what I heard from Marco, the, the seasoned sales veteran, and uh, Dan Sugar and, and even Ryan now uh, being joining your team, is that the way that you guys took a product that was relatively new, introduced it to the market with rapid growth success, was built on the back of relationships. You got it. I focus on that in particular because what I've learned uh, is that it, with few exceptions, the Latin America market, beyond other markets that I've personally been involved in, especially Europe and, and the U.S., is really built on relationships. You can have products that are uh, identical. In fact, your product could be slightly deficient in some way, but if you've got a better relationship with the customer, they trust you, they want to go with you. And that's not always, that's not always the case in, in other markets. Am I right? You are absolutely right, Nico. Um, in Latin America, the, the uh, relationships are ongoing. You, it, it, back to what we mentioned earlier, you become friends with your customers. Your customers uh, one day may become partners, maybe they're working with you. People move around the industry, but that friendship lasts forever. You know their families, you spend time with them. How are the kids, they're in school, they're playing soccer. Beautiful, the little daughter, how's she doing? Right, all this stuff that's so important because it, it brings the human side to the relationship, and then you're gonna go take care of the business. And the customer knows that if they're dealing with Next Tracker, we're going to execute, we're gonna deliver for them. We understand their deadlines just like they do because we've hit those deadlines in the past. We know what it takes to grid connect a system. We were full EPC at PowerLight and SunPower. Mm -hmm. We had to worry about the geotech, the peers, the modules, the inverters, the, the, the AC wiring, the DC cabling, the trenching, the medium voltage, the, the cutting post and, and connection to the grid. Yeah. All no, that I stuff. Get, I get it. Next Tracker really understands the, the installation process. And that's one of the reasons that Sun Edison trusts you guys. You know, I'm curious. When you looked at when you look at how Sun Edison expanded, and you guys, um, you, you know, I think the hybrid answer of your question is a market entry strategy or a wonderful byproduct is a little of both, right? There's a lot of relationship that went into it, and you knew that you needed one big, uh, one big win and one big sort of horse to hang to hang your hat on there. Um, but you've gotten the chance through the process to observe from the inner workings of Sun Edison, and I'm curious if you if you've thought through what you see as the DNA there within the Sun Edison development team, particularly the Madrid guys, and um, 
and not just Sun Edison, maybe Photo Audio, who also has had a really great um, uh, track record in, in Latin America, Solar Pack. These guys that are winning deals time and time again, Gestump, what do you see in their DNA that we could learn from about how to win more business as, the, as this you know, tide rises in Latin America? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I love that you brought up Potawatio and Solar Pack because those guys were my first customers in Spain back in 2006. Solar Pack, we did their first tracking system down in, in um, south of Sevilla, Andalucia, uh, along the Guadalquivir River there in a rice paddy. Uh, my first 8.4 megawatt EPC in Spain. Solar Pack, great guys. And then Fotovatio did the first 23 megawatt project in Spain, in Trujillo, uh, in Extremadura, and the EPC there was Eleknor. So that same relationship from 06 is, you know, here we are again in 2014-15. We're going to continue doing projects, same guys, same relationships. Uh, the reason those companies are successful, SolarPak, Fotovatio, Sun Edison, they get involved early, they commit, and they understand what it takes from a local uh, development um, ecosystem perspective, right? The policy makers, the, 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 the grid operators, how do you get an interconnection point? How do you secure the land rights? Uh, what about the environmental? Does a bird live out there that's gonna slow down the whole uh, you know, project uh, approval process? Some turtle or some animal that's gonna you know, leave those alone if you can avoid them, get a little closer to the, to the grid, to the high voltage lines, find an interconnection point. These developers figure all that stuff out on the ground, in the markets, right? In Chile, in Brazil, in Honduras, in Mexico. But then they've got their structured finance guys as well, in parallel, figuring out where's the money coming from? What are their hurdle rates? What are their ROIs, IR requirements? What, um, who are they gonna do with technical due diligence? Oh, let's suggest this engineer, we work with them before, they're very good, they're very credible, the bank likes reports from Fishner because Fishner does great due diligence and if they give you the stamp of approval, that mm -hmm. system's probably gonna work. So the, the, the developers, I, I see them kind of two-prong, right? The, the front the line, if you will, in the market, in the desert, in the small communities, getting the, uh, the, you know, the land rights and finding out who the farmers are, are that own the land out there. Maybe it's three guys, you gotta go to their homes out in the middle of nowhere and sit with them and go to the local municipality, get approvals to secure that land. Meanwhile, you got guys back in your headquarters or hopefully in New York City or in London or in, in Frankfurt or, or in Madrid getting money from investors and, and teeing this stuff up. And it's this kind of packaging mm -hmm. of the entire process that I, I'm, uh, I'm impressed by. I used to do that stuff, the development. Now I'm on, the, of course, the, the tracker manufacturing side. But those are the guys you want to do business with. Those guys yeah. are smart. They're focused. They're dedicated. They know how to spend their time properly. And they're a lot of fun. They're great people. I'm so glad that you finished that thought with that sentence because that actually was going to be my, my follow-up. Uh, no surprise to you. Um, really what I'm curious about and I think what you know, we are curious about uh, participating in this podcast, if I understand the DNA of a good developer – and I am, you know, in my past life, I sold solar panels and, and you guys sell equipment as well. If I'm selling equipment and I'm trying to forecast sales, I have to be really good at knowing who's legit and who's not. And I feel like one of the pieces that is missing in the sales training for a lot of the vendor sales folks, be it racking or balance the system or panels uh, or even monitoring across the board, is 
asking the right questions after you've established a relationship with the right people, uh, going back to how you and Sugar broke down the attack on St. Edison from Belmont to Madrid, and you guys taking on different categories. And it wasn't one guy taking on the whole, the whole approach and the whole staff. It was a team. And, and I know that you have folks working underneath uh, your organization that helped you approach the Madrid staff. But really it comes down to targeting a few key pieces, wouldn't you say? And, and maybe I'll, I'll toss it back to you to maybe restate. What are those key things that if I'm a vendor, right, maybe a module manufacturer, and I'm trying to forecast my pipeline, how do I know to give higher weights to, to Sun Edison versus some other developer I've never heard of? Correct, yeah. So I like to break it down, uh, Nico, to the following. You ask questions and you listen intently, right? And that's it. So you have your questions ready to go. You know, five, six, seven key questions, right? Uh, you know, Mr. Developer, do you own the land? Do you have access to the land? Do you have land rights? May I see it, please? Do you have an interconnection uh, agreement? Uh, has a PPA been awarded? Has one been negotiated? Are you going to go spot market? Are you merchant? Uh, tell me about how you guys structure the financing. How do you pay your suppliers? You know, you've got, yes, five or six pretty key questions. You listen intently. And if they come back with answers to everything, they might not share everything with you because it's confidential, but you get a sense of confidence. Mm -hmm. How confident are they in those answers they're delivering to you? And that's that's part of that stiffness. I call it, you know, it's qualification, right? In sales, you have to yeah. who you're doing business with, what those opportunities are. And, yep. and so that's super important with new companies coming out of the woodwork, right? What's their background? Where they come from? Who is it? Is there a good development guy out front? Is there good structural financing in the back, uh, supporting each other from both sides? Is there good leadership? Is there buzz in the market? Are they quiet and precise? Kind of like the solar pack guys from Vita Spain. Those guys are mm -hmm. quiet. They move into new markets ahead of everybody else. They secure good projects. They make sure they're financially sound. Those guys are extremely smart and talented. So Edison, on the other hand, they're going into every market in a big way and they're winning, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of the two opposite ends of the spectrum there. Potawatu is closer to the solar pack model, but they're not as big as SunEd, but they are in markets ahead of other folks getting out there with relationships and securing large projects with financing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with technical due diligence and, and yep. just doing a very good job. They're extremely thorough. And, and I so, think I would add to that that if you're doing your job as a sales guy and you're asking them the right qualifying questions, one of the things you really want to understand is not only who is your finance team, right? That's one. I think that's something that sales guys miss altogether. They feel afraid to ask about finance and how they're going to finance a project, and they feel like it's not their role, right? But I can guarantee you Ryan Booth on your team is asking every time, where are you guys at on financing on this deal? When do you think you're going to close on finance? What's that going to do to your procurement timeline? And that is exactly how I learned eventually to forecast better, right? And in Latin America, it's extremely difficult to know when projects are going to land. I've found that if you follow the trail of money, if you follow how far they, how far along they are, to the extent that you've built a good relationship with them, they'll come, they'll be more forthcoming with you. They'll tell you, "Hey, look, dude, we're really struggling with finance," or maybe they won't say that, but maybe they'll say, "Hey, we we think we're three months out," which means six. Um, you got and, it. and then learning, I think learning also like that thing I just said, learning what 
someone says truly means it only comes through experience, right? I know that if someone says, yeah, I think we're going to, I need a price for Q2. That means I really need to give them a price for Q3 and expect that this is going to hit in Q4. You got it. That's exactly right. And especially, you know, you, you got the, the wonderful personalities of, of these confident Latino dudes and they're just confident in everything. And then, and then you got to agree with them and, 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 and you know, uh, and toast and high five and then put the filter <laughs> on. Right. Yeah. Mar <laughs> Marco, Marco, I, you and I have done it for, for, uh, for a long time. Um, it, you know, going back and forth on this exact conversation. So I know I'm confident that we could fill three or five podcasts with this type of information. Uh, I, I, eventually I'm going to have to sort of curb it in. I do sure. have a few, I have a few other sections that I like to go through towards the end of a, of an interview. And, um, and I just want to, put a capstone on this section, this segment of the, of the podcast by saying that if you're a developer or you're a, an equipment sales guy and you're listening to this, re-listen to this episode. I, even if I stopped at three episodes, the three episodes that we've recorded, uh, are, are distinct and important. Uh, but the essence of what I decided to start this podcast about is what Marco has really talked about for the last 45 minutes. And I really want to thank you for that, Marco. And, uh, and so I, I, I urge you, if you're listening, go, well, you are listening. So I urge you, go back and listen to this again if you're interested at all in how to sell or how to develop in Latin America because you didn't catch everything Marco said the first time. I'm positive. Now, Marco, we're going to go into a section I call Learning Leadership and Legacy. Okay. Could you name for us a couple of books or blogs, just tools, tips, things that you've discovered? Maybe it's something you've created that's impacted the way you understand the market and share how it's impacted. I tend to uh, spend the early part of my day calling customers. And I usually start, I live in California. I'm nine hours behind Europe. I usually stop, start by calling Europe. I'm on the phone with Spain, with Italy, with France, with Germany. I'm, I'm, I'm tuning in. I'm reading emails. What, what do I need to do today? I'm stacking up the top priorities of my day. You start a day, you, you want to do 10 things, you're only going to do three. So you know, you're going to do three well, right? So you need to focus on how you can spend your day. So I just, I just start listening to my customers and that kind of points me to the direction. Rather than read about something that's happened in Spain, some award that's happening, you know, back in the day, 06, 07, it was opening. I call my customer and get the real, like, okay, how, what's this for you right now? What's happening? How can I help you? How can we move this forward? So I tend to just get the real-time data from customers. Um, but then, of course, I do in, in the downtime, more toward the end of the day, evening, when you know, the, the kind of business hours are over. Okay, now I'll start reading up on, on you know, the, the PV stuff, online updates. Uh, the Mercom Solar Report is quite good. comes out once a week. It, it usually focuses, focuses me on new markets that I'm not yet in, like India, Saudi Arabia, China. Brazil, keeping an eye on those, when's the right time to go in, see who the players are, who's spending money, who's acquiring who. I do that stuff toward the end of the day when I cannot call customers. I, I typically operate, if it's during the business day, I'm usually asking myself, if I'm not sitting in front of a customer, I should be talking to one. Who should I call right now that's going to help me move a deal forward? Man, that is golden right there. Thank you for that, Marco. That's really, really helpful. I'm curious, along those lines, 
and perhaps that's your answer. I love that you led into this. What one thing do you do consistently that yields the greatest impact or results in your personal or professional life? Yeah, that's a interesting question. I guess I, I, I'm just very passionate, Nico. I mean, you and I have hung out. We, we've, uh, you know, I, you love what you do. I love what I do. Uh, and I love my customers. I love my product. I love the projects. Even the challenges that frustrate you, you know, at the end of the day, it's like it's interesting to, to win against them, to, 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 to figure out that challenge and, uh, and, and persevere and, and, and close things out and get to the other side. And so I just I'm very passionate about what I do. And I try to, again, just stay focused. It's, it's all about time management, right? Spending time with the right people and then, and then you know, staying in touch and keeping your, your finger on the pulse of your product. You've selected these five or ten to focus on. Okay, I want to make sure I'm doing something to move them forward every mm-hmm. day. I don't, I don't want something I didn't call a guy for a week or two and now I, some bad news happened. I wasn't aware of it. That, you, you don't want that to happen, right? Yeah. And uh, so, something early, if I could just add something yeah. early you said about LATAM. Uh, about predictability. Sometimes you have it all teed up, right? You, you've got the customer, you've got the project, you've got the financing, but then the regulatory, uh, something happens that, you know, uh, completely out of everyone's control, right? The, in Mexico a couple of years ago, Mexico was going to grow in PV two years ago, but then there was the reforma, mm-hmm. right? Electrica. And so electrical reform and projects that were going to happen all of a sudden wiped out the entire San Edison pipeline. I had 10 projects in Mexico ready to go, rolling into 2015. Two quarters later, all gone replaced with projects in in other markets in primarily. Yeah. And so you got to be sometimes it's like you look at each other hey we did everything we could but it wasn't going to happen because the government decided not to and then what do you do you focus on something else you move on you recover you replace that business with something else that is wonderful so if i can distill that down to the one thing it sounds like uh your your passion yields optimism for the customers that you're working with and you prioritize around those customers, everything you do in a day. Absolutely. That's, ama- that's amazing. Well, what's next on the horizon for you, Marco? What are you working on now or what's next that you're excited about? Well, it's interesting with the with this Flextronics acquisition and we're still digesting it. it happened, uh, the announcement happened three days ago and it, it's not final yet. It needs to be approved by federal, federal regulators. Uh, October 1, it should become firm and then we become, we begin to operate as next tracker small print, a flex company on our business cards, et cetera. Um, and it's all about global expansion. How quickly can I move into those markets I mentioned earlier, India, China, Saudi Arabia, Brazil, Africa, Australia, those far flung markets, in some cases, difficult to do business in as a U.S. company, right? Mm-hmm. U.S. company tends to be very conservative. We were a startup a couple years ago, not a lot of money to go invest and set up shop in those big countries, you need to decide and, and go in and execute and have a long-term plan. Very Flex, exciting. Flex is already in uh, all those countries around the world established as a manufacturer. So I can go in and hire a team. They're dedicated to me. They're next tracker guys working for Marco, but they are employed by Flextronics in that country, paying their taxes, their benefits, the way the way you hire people in those countries. I don't need, I don't have an HR nightmare in front of me and, and a tax illegal uh, morass trying to figure out how to go into these countries. Flex has that infrastructure. I'm going to go in and select the key people and go in and win. So good. I'm, I, I'm really proud of you guys and happy for you. Uh, excited to see where you guys go with that. Marco, I realize that you aren't a big podcast junkie like I am and, uh, and you don't have necessarily an internet personality or presence, but where, where might people learn more 
about you or, or learn more about Next Tracker? You can find me on LinkedIn for sure. And then of course, uh, through our website, Next Tracker website, uh, you know, I, I, my email's on there and we're, yeah, so it's all through our project information is all there. Uh, and then you can well, find just me at the solar shows as well. Absolutely. For the benefit of those listening that might not, uh, if you don't mind, go ahead and share your email. I'm fine with that. Uh, it's mgarcia at nexttracker.com. N-E-X-T-R-A-C-K-E-R, nexttracker.com. M Garcia, my first initial, uh, M for Marco, M Garcia, arroba nexttracker.com. Love it. I love it. We'll have to do a Spanish version of these podcasts one day. We'll wrap up with that one, Marco. I really want to just take a moment and express gratitude for your joining the podcast for you speaking to us today and sharing from a deep well of wisdom thank you very much marco for joining the show it was awesome this was so much fun you really picked my brain and i've had a lot of fun man oh man i hope you got as much out of your time with marco as i did my friend if you did enjoy please share the love by heading over into iTunes and subscribing to the show. While you're there, consider leaving us a rating and review. Your love on social media is also much appreciated. They're great ways to let us know that you want to hear more. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can always find this and other episodes on www.mysuncast.com. In fact, if you do all of those things, you can get entered for a chance to win a $100 gift card of your choice to an any online retailer. So head on over to the website for details on how to enter. That's www.mysuncast.com. And hey, one more thing before you go. Last month, two industry leaders came together to help form a new vehicle for industry collaboration and voice. Conergy, one of the largest and most experienced downstream solar companies operating globally, and Next Tracker, a leader of single-axis trackers in Latin America, launched the Latin American Caribbean Solar Alliance, or LAXA for short. The Alliance's mission is to spur initiatives among solar industry professionals doing business in Latin America and the Caribbean, and to present a unified voice to advance solar industry goals. The coalition aims to initiate and to support policies that further solar development. Likewise, the launch of Suncast is made possible in part through the help and support of Conergy, Next Tracker, and LAXA. You can find out more about all three at www.conergy.com or www.nexttracker.com and www.laxa.com. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Suncast, and thanks for listening. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.